Hey, this is Russell, and I'm pretty sure I have one of the greatest jobs in the world. I work at the video store, the one that's just down the road from you that you can go to once a week whenever it is movie night. Why I love this job is because when the store is quiet, I get to watch movies and series and talk about them with my friends that work here. But occasionally, some interesting people pop in to rent something, and that is what happened today. Brett de Groot is on the show. He is an actor, writer, director, producer, tap dancer, singer, everything. He owns the big productions, and they put on incredible musical theater productions, of which Elton the Experience uh, is going to be coming to Johannesburg in the next few months, which you will see. Our uh, lovely co-worker, Cole Matthews, uh, introduced us to Brett. He often performs in these musical productions. So when that comes back, we will be sure to let you know. But let's get into it. This is Brett de Groot popping in to rent something. Did you see that thing yesterday on the TV? Alright, how's it? Good, thanks to you. Nice to see you. I know, this is crazy. I haven't seen you guys in so long. And every time I've seen you, it's been in like some kind of sequence or sparkly clothes and you're on stage and you lit, lit up. Yeah. And I really enjoy your productions. Thanks. And it must be so disappointing to see me in person. No. And there's no sequence and, <laughs> it's a and no good lighting. Yeah. No, yeah. I really, just, just to kick things off, I've always admired the, the work. Um, I know it's one part of everything that you do. You do lots of many things. But um, Cole is a great musician and a good friend. So whenever he gets involved in one of these productions, I love the escapism of going to them. I like theater, but I like musical theater in particular because I think I'm, I don't know. It always takes me back to sort of my original sort of acting core, my original sort of love of performance. I've always just been a big sucker for you were kind of raised on it right yeah well it's just one of those things like when you sort of see it for the first time as a little kid and you're like oh this is magical (laughs) oh yeah absolutely there's like there's no better form of or example of escapism as musical theater it's like you literally suspend every piece of like reality because people are literally moving in and out of song and dance but still telling a story and, and you just watch it and you accept it like, oh, that's normal. That's how people yeah. talk. I, you know? And I just get so swept up in it. And yeah. I don't necessarily want to be in a musical. Yeah. But just like the moment The Greatest Showman started, like within the first two seconds, oh, yeah. I got this lump yeah. in my throat and I was like, oh, I'm going to be seconds yeah. away from crying yeah. for the next two hours. Beads, <laughs> beads of absolute sweat down your back. Like, this is it. This is, I'm, I'm in. Yeah. So, so yeah, so just it's been great that you've done those things. Yeah, well, thanks. I mean, it really is. I think I'm similar in so many ways, and that's what I was raised on. My entire family were in musical theater. Um, they performed on the West End. Oh, really? They, they performed, yeah, yeah. My mom is one of seven girls, so at least five of her sisters were professional performers. What kind of stuff were they doing on the West End? So the, they were um, first and foremost dancers. So they okay. were involved in all the massive um, musicals like Hello Dolly, uh, Mame, all those big old school golden age musicals. Um, Wild. And they were part of this really formative musical theater movement in South Africa back in the day with Brickell Burke. You know, they really were the foundation of musical theater in South Africa. And they got all those big shows 
here and really put South Africa on the map in terms of musical theater. They, they were the ones that, you know, we, because of them, the shows would start here and not in the UK and they would almost workshop them here and then uh, take them onto the West End. Yeah, and then they would transfer back and forth. And then my mom's younger sisters were part of the, the Follies movement, which was, you know, the Girls of the Feathers and the like choruses of like 60 girls coming down a staircase kind of thing. Oh, wow. Just super glamorous. And, and okay. so because of that, as a kid, you know, my parents always exposed me to, to that um, okay. I can, okay. That makes, that makes lots of sense. So much I can see how, I can see how the, yeah. how that came about. Yeah. And, and, and things like give me a pair of tap shoes was not like an unusual thing. You know, that's just the yeah. way that it was. Was, um, was auntie Sham one of the oh, yeah. people that worked in the West End? Yeah. So, so I didn't know that. my mom's two older sisters and who basically are some of our main choreographers for the production company. And then I also work with one of my other aunts who was in the Folly shows they, they, yeah, they were drobes and you just see all these old classic costumes and, and the stories that they can tell you. It always excited me so much as a kid. Um, and now to be working with them in, in so many ways, it's, that's so exciting. Um, mm. Have you guys ever heard of Stomp? Do you know Stomp? Yes, yeah. So as a young, also, yeah, loving the shows, loving theater, loving performing, loving music. I saw Stomp and was like, oh, this is amazing because I was starting to play drums. Yeah. And um, I just thought that show was amazing. I had the DVD that they made of this of, of them sort of like in little situations across New York. And I was seriously contemplating and looking into tap dancing. Yeah. Because that's a big part of the show. Because I yeah. was like, I am going to be in Stomp. Like there was a time <laughs> in my life. Where, decided, there was a yeah. time in my life where I was like, this is, the, this is what I want to do. I want to go to New York, I want to join the cast of Stump and I want to perform in Stump. Yeah, I mean, like, <laughs> and, and like tap dancing, I actually wonder how, if drummers were to try it out, I wonder if they'd pick it up because it, it is all about rhythm and beat. Sure, and your feet are already doing Everything, some form yeah. of it with kick and hi-hat, yeah. so it's, mm. not, it's not far off. No, it's not mm -mm. far off at all. Um, and, and drummers are, um, are generally more loose people and that's the whole thing with tap is you have to relax your entire body. Um, and, and so... I, th I actually wonder. Yeah, no, they, they, they mm. definitely linked. Yeah. Um, you've just finished shooting something. Yes, I have. I've I literally wrapped yesterday. Um, and you say you still got the dust in your mouth. Still got the dust in my mouth. Uh, <laughs> honestly, I, I woke up this morning at like 4 a.m. just because my, my body clock was just used to like getting up before sunrise. But yeah, I mean, it's an incredible thing. Uh, I'm for shooting a documentary about safaris for the blind. Um, it's, it's an amazing, very niche thing, but, uh, yeah, I was told about this company that, that specializes in these, these very unique, uh, safari experiences that rely solely on sound. Okay. So probably birds are quite a lot to do with it. Birds, but everything actually, they, they've equipped the, the, these four by four vehicles with ultra sensitive microphones and they take you out and they'll sort of park next to a herd of elephant and the microphones are so sensitive. You can hear the elephants chewing or like. Their pads on the sand, and because they they are remarkably quiet. Yeah, mm. yeah, it's terrifying. It's it's, it's haunting how yeah. quiet they are. Mm. Yeah, um, and yeah, they sort of opened up this this business, and they sort of realized that even though they were doing stuff for sound, people almost listen with their eyes. So they would like look and be like, oh yeah, we can hear the elephant, but they're looking at the elephant, and then they started blindfolding people to like try and get them, you know, to really listen. Mm. And then they kind of said to themselves, yeah, but what about blind people? And yeah, yeah we took the, the first 
blind person on the sound safari and it, it literally was I mean it's life changing like I, I, know, I know that's such a flippant saying but no no we had this little kid who was our protagonist uh, who is a protagonist um, Annika and uh, honestly this this kid there's something about her she was heavily abused as a, as a child until the age of six. She was kept in a locked room and completely understimulated. So she couldn't Fuck. walk, she couldn't feed herself, she couldn't Jesus. speak. She uh, had no use for her fingertips. So she then ended up in foster care and then adopted by her, her current parents now who literally are like angels. Like, I don't know how these people actually exist. They've got like six adopted children, all of whom have varying problems. Yeah. And... Yeah, when they got her, they, they tried to teach her Braille, but because she was unassimilated, her fingertips just weren't developed. And, and there's, an, wow. there's, there's that amazing point yeah. where, where early childhood development can't yeah. be done. Yes. It can't be done, yeah. If, if you've lost that point yeah. in your development, you, you, can't, you can't necessarily make it back. But what's incredible wow. is she, if you meet her now, she's basically, you know, there's, you wouldn't even know there's anything wrong with her. You would just know that she's blind because she's got two glass eyes. And um, the, the, so the work that these two parents have done with her to get her to this point is incredible. Yeah, I and, can imagine. But what was so interesting is she, because she was locked in a room at eight, before age six, she had no exposure to sound. And, and it was the slow exposure to sound, you know, because that's her main sense now. Yeah. And to come full circle and now take on a sound safari and have her hear like a lion. For the first time. Yeah. Yeah. And wow. Then, and I mean, I mean, a, a lion just no, in general. Yeah, in like hippo. You, yeah. And I mean, what was actually so strange is most of her reactions were just like laughter. Like she just, she was just laughing out of joy, I think. And she found it so funny and the sound so funny. But I mean, bird calls, this girl can name like 70 birds just off yeah. their calls. And that's what's so amazing wow. is they, like people go their whole lives as bird watchers trying to identify calls and her as a, as a kid can just pick it up. What was the context of the documentary? Like, did someone commission this? Or so, you doing it out of your... so it's part of um, the Silver Scatum Fierce um, with CakeNet. They do it once a year and it's normally of short films. But this is the first time they're doing something about... Uh, they, they've, they've almost created a, a category for documentary. Okay, so, so you've applied and, and so, you sort of, what, yeah, got the grant to do it? it was a, it, it's a boxing match. I mean, you, thousands of people apply every year. Um, and you have to do pitch submissions, and yeah, I, I'm now on the top six, and then you you get your budgets, and you go and you and film. You get to make it, yeah. And, uh, and yeah, then and, and the there's a final yeah, there's, round, there's right? There's a winner. So basically, now that all the documentaries will be screened, um, once once we're done with post, and yeah, then there's a winner, and the the ultimate winner will then move on to get a contract to do either you know feature length stuff or you know whatever it may be. But this okay. will also form part of like international film festivals because yeah. it's. It's the biggest thing that I've learned, especially as well, is like when you have something, yeah. have it's why these films, well, I suppose it's completely different when you're getting like commercial distribution. When they say that the budget is like the same price as the marketing budget. Yeah. Where you have to have like a significant little pool of money that you can use to just get it seen as at as yeah. many festivals as possible. Because then you're going to find a distributor there. That's going to be interested, maybe. Yeah. You know, and then that, that's how your documentary could see millions of people. Yeah. Um, and it's just every, everything about the film, once you've made it, is almost similar to being a politician. The way yeah. the way the award seasons work, I, I remember experiencing it firsthand, knowing the guys that were part of The Wound um, in Leba. Yes. And they were like, it's politics. It's literally like being in a race for 
presidents. You got to hold parties. You got to fight, you know, to get the academy to to vote to for you, it, and, yeah. and, and do it. And they said they were shortlisted, and then um, they needed this last window, and it was in like a sort of November, December. And they said so many South African companies were breaking for the year, not answering, not getting back to them because you know in South Africa everything shuts down yeah. like mid-December, and that's when they needed this final push. And they reckon that was something that severely hampered them. Yeah. Where this other film, I think it was a Hungarian film, got picked up by Netflix. And so it got all this budget. And with that, they could just promote it better. Yeah. And then that's what sort of took it over the line. Yeah, that, I mean, that was their opinion. I mean, that's what's so cool about this is it's really an opportunity of a lifetime in that CakeNet is partnered with Showmax. And so already you're on a different mm. echelon. So it goes on to Showmax and people can, can watch it and... And because it's it's a foreign it's foreign national in in terms of that it's going to be Afrikaans, but it's also combined with English, so it's not unattainable for an mm. English speaking audience. So it's very cool. I mean, it's an opportunity that you won't normally get in by making these kinds of short documentaries. People won't normally see them, but because it's directly going onto television and then directly going to Showmax, and they have the intention to get it onto these circuits. I mean, what more could you ask for, really? Exactly. It's, amazing. it's amazing. Creating, yeah. Um, what are you watching? What are you enjoying at the moment? I'm curious to know what kind of stuff you watch because mm. I think I have something that I think you'd enjoy. Uh, you know, always peddling your wares to me about what to, to, <laughs> to hire in the store. But um, at the moment, uh, let me think. Um, do you have Disney Plus? Oh, I, I do, 100% have Disney Plus. I think okay. that. that and, I'm wonder, and then I'm curious to know whether you've started watching the show. I would recommend to you. Okay. Welcome to Chippendales. So, funnily, en <laughs> funnily enough... Have you seen it? Have you heard of it? Cole? I've heard of it, yeah. Yeah, yeah. That's on my watch list. So, okay. so that's my next thing to watch. I just finished Andor um, on Disney+, Plus, which I thought okay, was fantastic. Cool, cool. cool. Um, but yeah, and also just finished Wednesday. So like really like... Did you like Wednesday? I loved Wednesday. I thought it was great. I think, you know, you know what made Wednesday for me is the lead actress. Yeah. Mm. And it's so funny because... I think sometimes people forget how important casting someone that's really enigmatic and can carry a cast. Yeah. You know, they they try and like get these ensemble things and ensembles are important, but they could not have got someone better and she literally she took that role and she flipped and ate it for breakfast. Like Yeah, yeah. Incredible, just an incredible performance and also, so compelling. There's such a pressure there because that's an iconic character that's been done yeah. well before yeah. by Christina Ricci, yeah. you know, and other actors in the previous adaptations. So now you have to come along and make it your own and be the featured character of a series? Yeah, I think that's difficult because Wednesday, she is iconic, but in the Addams Family canon, she's sort of this side character that you yeah. have these few scenes with that are hilarious because she's deadpan. Yeah. But to formulate an entire series about a character who literally has no emotional range, that's hard. <laughs> that's really hard. And yet she does have an emotional... And no, that's what I think is so cool when about what she did. When it breaks at the seams and yeah. when you, sort of, you can see it in her eyes yeah. when I, she sort of and is in love or yeah. when she is... Yeah, and, the, and I think that first, that first time that she sees... Sorry, the, if you haven't watched Wednesday, and this is a spoiler, but the first time she sees Festa and she smiles for the first time in like six episodes. Yeah. It's so great because she's smiling at probably the worst news possible that her like serial killer terrorist uncle is now in her presence. I mean, it just it's so great, so clever. Yeah. Yeah, and great production design. I mean, I love I'm a I'm a sucker for production design. I think that's just yeah. a show that really nailed it. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. All right. 
Um, so welcome to Chippendales is Great. And I think you'd appreciate it for a bunch of reasons. Um, one of which is it's about understanding the show and it's about understanding what people want and putting on some kind of a show with production value. So basically we've got something called the back of the box, which is the term to describe the show as if you've taken it off the shelf and are reading the back. Um, so the back of the box of Chippendales, it's the true life story of the guy who started Chippendales, which is the famous male strip club. Uh, well, strip club for females that have males stripping. And it's great because you can play with such a lovely time, which is like the late 70s. So there's lots of like hairy men chests oh, and yeah. moustaches. And, you <laughs> the know, beginnings like, of the shoulder pads, yeah, yeah. yeah mutton chops. And, and that sort of decadence. <laughs> and basically this um, Indian sort of immigrant um, who sort of worked at a petrol station when you first meet him, wants to start his own business. He, he first tries a Baccarat club which quickly realizes doesn't work. And before you know it, it's lovely to sort of see the evolution. But then he starts, he says, well, what about a strip club for females? And it's just lovely how they, how they get this thing going. And then how this guy comes in to help with the choreography and putting on the show. And so far, I'm enjoying it. I think it's great. Yeah, so well, if I, yeah it's on your watch list, but that would be something I would have you, have you rent. Well, I, I think they should hire you as their publicist because just the way you describe it, you know, hairy chess, all these things like yeah, exactly. tantalizing. Yeah. And so, uh, yeah, I, I thought it was great. Kamel Nanjiani is the main dude. Juliet Lewis is involved. She's always fun. Yeah. So, yeah, I yeah. think it's a good one. I think and and as it. an ex-Chippendale myself, I think I would enjoy... And no, I'm, I'm just joking. <laughs> <laughs> if, if, if you don't know what I look like and you, you, you look me up, you'll see I'm definitely not... Chippendale material. <laughs> but you've come close in terms of attire. I've, yeah, I, I've, I have. I've seen you in, um, in a, in, when you did the Rocky Horror at the end of yeah. Simply Broadway. Yeah, full there wasn't red the, leather there wasn't hot much. pants. No, there really wasn't much. <laughs> it's funny it because, because no. every time I'm about to go on stage in, in those moments, I always think to myself, why am I doing this? Like, is this, <laughs> is this worth I, it? And I only have myself to blame, which is actually, I think, probably... Am I am I a sadist? I don't know if that's if why why <laughs> why do you do it? I don't know. I just I, I think it's just because like I I don't really take myself too seriously. So for me, like running on stage in in red pleather hot pants, is, I think it's it's just hilarious. Like it's just such a funny thing. And it's cool to not take yourself so seriously as well. A hundred percent. I just I think I think a lot of people in the musical theater industry in particular take themselves extremely seriously, and you know they. I'm definitely not that kind of person. Like I, I'm, I'm kind of with the audience and, and on, on like the inside jokes. Yes, you know, and and we we all laughing together at the same thing. Yes, I think um, the one biggest thing talking about not taking yourself seriously is I came into Brett Space, um, like being surrounded by some of the best musicians in the country. Right, two Berkeley educated yeah. um, musicians in the band, and I'm a self-taught bassist. So I I came into that space in like 2017 feeling like I had to really step up, right? So yeah. like, try and take it so seriously. And then on opening night, performance nights, when Brett introduces the band. Yeah. <laughs> I've seen a few of these inter introductions. What did he say yeah, about I'm, you? I'm, I'm trying to think of my like top three, uh, where he's like introduces the drummer and the piano, says something cool about them and funny, and then he looks at me. But every time he does, yeah, he kind of just stares at me 
yeah. and goes quiet. And then everyone in the audience picks up on something. Yeah. And then the first time it happened, my, I like felt my blood drain from my face because <laughs> it's the first time someone puts a spotlight on you yeah, yeah. in front of a and crowd. And especially as a musician in the musical theater, you are yes. kind of in the background. Yeah. And then he just says out of the silence, Cole, you're about as useful as a knitted condom. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> in front of 200 people. Yeah. <laughs> And I was like, okay, cool. I don't have to worry about anything anymore. There's no more shame or stress about like not doing well. It's just, and like over the years, it gets progressively worse with every show. But it's... it's, I remember him making a comment about how bearded the lower part of your head is, but how... Yeah, there was an accident. And hairy the top Yeah, called it a cartwheel and his (laughs) hair spun around onto his chin. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, I think think that's that's my most quoted line to me. If like, people speak to me about the shows and they're like, yeah, and you said you're bassist. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> they did a cartwheel. That's oh, terrible. Yeah, but, but I mean, it's, it's great because it just brings down your walls, right? And you yeah. remember that you're an entertainer. Like you're not there to prove to yourself that you have to be great or something. I don't know. You're there to make other people have a good time. Right. Oh, yeah, absolutely. Like entertainment shouldn't be an ego trip. Yeah. Um, you have to have a certain amount of confidence in what you are doing and like know that you are able to deliver. You know, people are paying to see you. Yes. But that mustn't be confused with thinking like you are a hotshot. Um, you know, like it's it's about, I don't know, bringing that audience in and letting them have a good time. I, I my, my, sort of my modus operandi is to always work with people that I really get on with because uh, like... Art is about having fun and no one is involved in art unless they are passionate about it. No one's parents force them into musical theater. No one's. Including yours, who yeah. were in musical theater. Yeah, I mean, parents <laughs> force their kids to become like doctors and accountants. And then like, no one's ever forced into art necessarily. Yeah. Um, so you're there to have fun as well. And so I think that's so important. And the audience picks up on that. I think that's something, the feedback we get the most is that we could see you guys are having a good time. And because of that, we had a good time. Mm, yeah. And that's the whole point. And I mean, I call can attest that I don't ever tell the band any of the jokes beforehand because I want their reactions to be yeah. as genuine and possible, even if that means they're going to completely fuck up the next song. That's yeah, fine. That's like it's <laughs> fine because it's, it's, that's part of it is to, yeah. to keep them on their toes and, and to have that sense of like, we're going to have a good it's time such now. A, it's an amazing kind of thrill, that anxiety that you feel in Brett shows. Yeah. And like, especially when he introduced the band, because that they go, oh, what's it going to be this year? But, you I'm, know? but I mean, like we just did um, Elton, which was... Uh, I, thought the, I thought the Elton show was great. Thank you. And I also thought, sorry, just to give some, some feedback, is that your speaking and storytelling in between the songs, I think, not that it was ever bad before, but has... I th- I saw it improve. I I thought it was even better than the other ones. Yeah, I think it's because you know, each of the shows I do are very different in terms of genre. Like, simply Broadway is it's basically stand up with music. That's what it is. Yeah. Um, and whereas we had like my favorite things, which is exceptionally serious. Um, but I think with Elton, you're dealing with someone who's completely irreverent, but you're also dealing with someone who. I think in many ways it's inspirational. Not many rock stars can, you can look at them and say, oh, that's inspirational. You know, what they went, they, they, they tend... The, what they, they started out as and yeah, what they and, became. And they generally, they generally become, you know, worse with time. Whereas 
in terms of their their personality and in terms of what their you know drugs and and whatever from that specific area period I'm speaking about now. But mm. I think what's so great with Elton is he started out as a horrible person, yeah, and became this incredible person. And I think that's that's a very cool thing to work with. And there's so much. I know Rocket Man had come out. Yeah, we watched that together. Yeah, yeah, we did. I actually, yeah, we did. That was one of the few times we've sort of hung out outside yeah. of uh, seeing me coming me to watch in the leather show. underpants. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, but like <laughs> Rocket Man came out while we were already. Alton was already in development. Um, okay, so it was just a nice and, sort and, of added, yeah, sort of and we texture were, for you. And we were kind of like, oh well, you know is this a problem and actually it's not because what we spoke about in the show is not at all what's dealt with in Alton Alton is a very brief snapshot of his life because you know it's, it's a film um, yeah. whereas what we did is we approached it from four very different decades of his life and, and what these decades would do if they were sort of were to meet each other because I think that's very interesting hmm. um, but I loved I loved writing the script for Alton just because I think it's a cool way of Telling a particular a particular queer story, because, and I know this sounds so woke, and I'm definitely not like this extremely heavily woke person, but but I think that what uh, what I like about it is it's taking a, a, a very realistic queer story and like telling it in a way that you don't have to hit the nail on the head, but it's almost like. I don't know, normalizing it in a way that uh, that you can a rock star, which is quite difficult, actually. Yeah, you're humanizing an icon. An icon, yeah. Right. Um, but yeah, I loved it. And I, I, I also loved just working with with the four, well, the three other Altons. One of which was Cole. One of which was Cole. And that was yeah. cool. It was nice to see you not just be the musician at the yeah. back. You, you were... You were yeah, more in the front, which was lovely. And I, and I think my favorite part of Alton, and I, I mean, I even had this talk with all of them, was seeing these three people who I knew had all this potential, like meet that potential and then just completely excel uh, on stage. Like there wasn't one person who sort of fell to the wayside. Like everyone held their own on stage. And that, that was so cool. I mean, seeing, like you say, seeing Cole act and sing for the first time and I mean I've always known Cole can play piano he can play the shit out of the piano but like it was just so cool to see him you know come into fruition with this and to see Louise I mean Louise is literally a walking goddess like that voice yeah. does not belong on planet earth and no. to hear her like hit those notes I mean she's insanely talented Do you remember the goodbye yeah. out of brick road the Sarah Borelli cover that S Louise did Sarah Borelli yeah um, I'm not gonna write you a love song um, I, I mean, I just remember That's the whole show yeah. being great. Yeah, yeah, yeah. She does an amazing cover of Goodbye Out of Brick Road that Louise sang. Okay. And it's no small feat. Yeah. I mean, yeah, Louise, um, you don't Louise follow yeah, she, blows, she blows your wig off. It's, it's insane. It almost reminded me a little bit of, well, in, th in, th in theory, it's a little bit like that movie, I'm Not There, the Bob Dylan one, where you, yeah. where you sort of show the different versions of a character. And you can really only do that with a character that has yeah, different multi, versions. Multi. So that, that, that's cool. Yeah. That's awesome. I wanted to um, like have a slight segue here, but not too much of a segue considering what we're talking about. Um, because Brett and I like kind of linked in primary school and high school at Trinity through musical movies. Yeah. Like movies yeah. is where we like kind of oh, yeah. met. Definitely. Yeah. Um, and he was like the only person I could really go to in my friend groups and be like, Oh my God, hairspray is amazing. <laughs> <You know? laughs> um, so like, 
talking about like we've had this conversation a hundred times over the years, but what do you think about musical movie adaptations? Um, and I guess like which films have done it best mm. and what's the best like route to take? Is it like a Lemmers, Tom Hooper approach or is it like, I don't know, um, Spielberg and West Side Story. We saw that together. Like, what kind of style do you prefer the most when you go into musical theater? I'm really glad you asked this question because I I have very strong opinions on it. Um, (laughs) Love it. Because like we said at the beginning of, of, of our conversation, I grew up on these films. You know, the Fred Astaire, Ginger Rogers stuff. Mm. Um, those films are, I'm sorry, you can, you can show me a, <clears throat> that's not to say that there's anything wrong with like a technical film like Avatar or whatever, but those films are a technical human feat like no other. You've got people tap dancing on a roof. You've got people, yeah. you know. And they were really doing it. So really, much more than, than Really before, doing it, yeah. you know. Um, a lot of people, what I found so strange when La La Land came out, it was like it was the first musical people had ever seen. And I'm like, really? This is, it's not to say that the, the acting was bad. I thought the two leads were phenomenal in that film. But that's not real musical theater. Um, you know, real musical theater is, is not someone dubbing in tap tap sounds when you're supposed to be doing it on screen like those people really did it back back in the day i mean they were they were like next level and every they were only competing against themselves which i think is like the craziest yeah. part of it all but uh in terms of modern day c- cinema I- i'm a big fan of old school musicals and that can be seen from a lot of my work yes. on the stage is I, I love the golden age musicals um and and then my my dad sort of raised me on, on rock, so it was very like a huge juxtaposition. So that's why there's like Elton in the mix. It's, it's quite weird. Awesome. But, but I think in terms of modern day musicals, the only director I think, besides Spielberg doing West Side Story, which I think was phenomenal. I think the way he framed the dance sequences, especially yeah. for me, was amazing. And he did the right thing in terms of casting actual musical theater people. Yes. Because that you, never happens. That never happens. And musical theater people are a different breed in that you have to have all those capabilities. Yes. You have to really be able to do it, especially yeah. with West Side Story. West Side Story is an incredibly difficult musical. If you, if those who don't know, it's yeah, it's sort of the it's what people aspire to do in, if you're in a musical theater career, uh, whether you are classically trained as a singer or classically trained as a dancer. It's every part of it is difficult. But I think. In terms of directors for modern day musicals, I think Rob Marshall is sort of the standard. Interesting. What are the ones he's done? Chicago. Chicago. Eh. Yeah. So so Rob Marshall did Chicago. He did Nine. He did uh, Into the Woods, Mary Poppins Returns, and he's now going to do The Little Mermaid, which is I don't know. Getting, is he doing Little yeah, Mermaid? Yeah, which is getting attention for every single All the wrong, wrong reason. Um, yes. But I I cannot tell you how I mean. Uh, my nipples were hard when I heard that he was going to do The Little Mermaid because I was like, yes. When this, is that coming out? It's coming out this year. Yeah. For ages. Yeah. Okay. But I think what, what makes Rob Marshall so great as a musical theater director is he is from musical theater. And you must remember, musical theater films are made for musical theater people. Yeah. Um, you're not going to win over a new audience with it, I don't right. think. Um I just think that Rob, because Rob Marshall is from from Broadway, he and he is a, do, a choreographer. He understands how to do it. With, you know, whether his films are well received or not, from a musical theater adaptation perspective, you cannot deny that he gets it right. Right. Because a musical is very difficult to translate onto st- screen. 
weirdly because you know considering films started as musicals that's sort of where big hollywood features started was yes. yeah. these big glossy musicals but modern day musicals don't really translate as easily did i like lemes no i didn't because it wasn't musical theatery enough yeah, it's so dramatized i think right. if you, it, was, it was more of a filmy film it was yes. it was you know yeah it, it it was almost too heavy you need to sweeten it up just a little bit but I know I know a lot of people had like a problem with Nine because they felt that Nine. I've never heard of Nine. What's Nine? It, Daniel Day Lewis. Thing. It kind of it oh. kind of came and went, and and it was his follow up to Chicago, and a lot of people were like, oh, but this is such a misogynistic film and whatever. But if you look at Nine in the context of what it was as a stage musical and what he managed to do with it on screen, just in terms of his the the scenes where people are singing, Rob Marshall gets it. Yeah. He he takes you to a musical theater space. It's elevated, it's extremely theatrical, it's well framed, it's well choreographed, it's well blocked. And that's something that a lot of people miss when they 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 do these musicals cuz remember on stage everything is about isolations, about the spectacle. So when people are singing, that's when the directing really happens in a musical. You have these beautiful lights come in, you have the dancers come in, and people forget that when they're directing a musical, but Rob Marshall doesn't. Wow. I mean, you just go and you watch that, the sequence with Penelope Cruz and Nine, just as an example, you know, and the theatricality of her sliding down like 20 meters of like satin rope, you know, in like, uh, like basically just negligee. It's, There's it's an understanding so of what musical theater is in that, right? It's, it's so campy okay. and, and sexy, but that's what it is. You know, and, and another example in that film as well is Fergie does a big number and the way he uses the camera to capture the the spectacle and, and the size of having like 40 women dancing in sand, like that's what you need as an, as an approach. It's, it's also why Chicago was so revolutionary. Is he, he played on the idea that as soon as a character starts to sing, you transport it back to the same theater. So the singing is not part of reality. It's all happening in Roxy's head, which is a clever device that he used. Mm. But... You just watch that film and you, you can see he understands what he's doing in terms of music, choreography, theatricality in a film. And I think that's really important. If, if a director can bring that sensibility to it, then it's fantastic. Yes. Hmm. You often hear a guy like Tom Cruise talk about like he understands what the action looks like. Yeah. And he always talks about the audience. No, the audience would want to see that. Yeah. And they'd want to see this crash or this move or this sweep or this kick. And so it's kind of the same thing that you're sort of just thinking about the yes. audience all the time the, and you choreographing in the same way in which you choreograph like a really cool action scene. Totally. The, when I was studying directing and trying to make sense of it, right? Like you have, I think as, a, as if you're a director as an individual, you kind of have a proclivity to it. But then there's an exercise of trying to understand what exactly am I doing when you're learning the ropes, right? And then when I heard Chris Nolan say, as a director you're the audience's representative on sets. Yeah. That kind of blew my mind. Yeah. It's like nice that makes thing perfect when you sense. Because like I have an overall understanding of what's going on and how things work. Yeah. And then you just have to say, what would people want to see yeah. in this moment? Or what should they see? Yeah. And that's mm. what directors do. Um, and yeah. it's interesting to hear you say uh, Rob Marshall because I, I think you're coming from that musical theater angle. Yeah. And then... Um, Apart from the fact that I'm a, a simp for Steven Spielberg, I like come from the side of like I suppose filmmaking, yeah. where I don't get what Frank Marshall's doing. Rob yeah. Marshall, yeah. sorry. 
um, and I see something like West Side Story and exactly what we were talking about with the 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 marriage of forms when you get theater and cinema yeah. coming together I and a director for one sorry letting dancers dance and not using 50 camera angles and edits to like try create the energy of a dance because it's there already yeah you know yeah. i think i think what what made i mean i agree with you i, lo- I loved spielberg's wayside story i think i think it's one of the best movie musicals that have ever been made but I think why it's so good is Spielberg is he he is movies. He is the the tech the technical idea of film is what Spielberg just nails on the head. It's yeah. the way that he can create an instant classic from the very second that movie starts. That's what he's good at. Yes. And I think that the the difference between him and Rob Marshall is maybe Rob Marshall's um like the acting sequences maybe aren't as quite as compelling as what Spielberg can bring across, yeah. but he can bring the sense of the stage to the screen. Yes. Whereas Spielberg did a musical in a very filmy way, yes. and I, that's such a horrible verb or adjective to we describe know what you it. Mean, yeah. But it's like it, it was it was so Spielberg, but in the very best way possible. Yes. I mean. Uh, Rob Marshall, where there's going to be a huge um, sort of key change, and you know that like the sort of the essence of the song is about it, like the the big bridge that everyone knows is going to just blow the audience away. Yes. Rob Marshall knows how to make that theatrical, and there's lights, and there's you know it's it's an artificial environment because it's, he literally stages stuff. Where Spielberg managed to do that in a way that was these organic sets in within the movie and didn't take you out of the film. Mm. So I think that's the big difference but in a rob marshall film you don't care you've been taking out the film because you know that's the point yes where spielberg it's one organic coherent thing um but yeah i loved it and i think spielberg's casting for west side story i think that was his strongest asset wow yeah mm, yeah speaking of spielberg myself and cole went on a little outing last night and we watched the fablemans we were um just talking about it before you came, and then we were like, "No, we got to hold this. <laughs> we got to chat about it." Hold with it you. for the. But um, but yeah, Fablemans is interesting. I think you'd enjoy it. Yeah. Um, it's yeah, it's it's painfully personal, and you can't. Yeah, you can't help but feel. It's that I was afraid it was going to be a bit indulgent. It perhaps was. It, in the beginning, it felt like it was going to be, and it felt like the way he was painting these scenes and memories were a little too rosy. Did you feel that? Like a little too... Not at all. Kind of perfect. But then, of course, those characters became more and more real and, and you started yes. seeing more and more of them. But, I think um, like the thing he understands... But it's, sorry, one thing is that, is that the movie starts with him giving a little speech, which I thought is quite strange. Yeah, very different. Maybe just for the theater releases, yeah. but him yeah. going, hi, this is a deeply personal love letter. Yeah. Um, and enjoy. Yeah. <laughs> it was like, we didn't really need it, but it was interesting that that played. Yeah. Yeah, it's true. I forgot about that. Yeah. So I was busy angry with the all the old ladies that came to watch The Fablemans with us last night. Yeah, there was a point last night where I think um, Gad turns to me and he's like, is this like a like an old age like screening? Is this like a, <laughs> like is a this pensioner's night? Yeah. Someone yeah. went out of the fucking cinema and made them turn down the volume in the trailers. I was like, I'm not. This isn't happening. Yeah, so I like yeah. stormed out. Like, Rrr. this is this is a PSA to all of you out there. If you're gonna if you're gonna come to the movies with me, which yeah. is unlikely because you know, <laughs> but I just want to tell you, if you come to the movies with me, it's 
it's all about me. <laughs> I don't I don't want to hear you speak. I don't want to hear you breathe. Okay, well then don't go don't go and watch movies with Cole. Because the moment we I've became been, movie yeah, buddies, I've been friends with this person for too long, and I know I know exactly what you're talking about. The moment we sat down together, I was like, oh my god, is he going to talk like this the yeah. whole movie? Then I was like, I actually really like it. And it's almost it's almost well, certain movies it's almost are right subconscious. For it. Like he just it, it's like he has like almost like a, a, a version of like movie Tourette's. Like he, things just leave Cole's mouth. With, <laughs> he's just like, wow, that was amazing. Like you know, just like loud. The, the first movie we watched together was The Meg. Which which is that sort of ridiculous Yeah, yeah cinematic movie. excellence at its best. Yeah. <laughs> and it was just, it was actually kind of funny. We almost had our own version of like Mystery Science Theater. We were sort of yeah. narrating this movie as it was playing out to no, each other. 100%. I but thought I, that was lots of fun. But I mean, if there's a person in front of me speaking in a movie, yeah, I will yeah. lean forward, I will grab your ponytail and I will whisper into your ear so passive aggressively <laughs> that I will end your life if you <laughs> utter one more word. You'd you'd love uh, watching movies in France. They are, I know. They are very famous for being those kinds of cinema yeah. people. They don't serve popcorn in, in French cinemas. Yeah. They don't want anyone to make any noise. Yeah. I, li- I like Wait, to sorry. go when like there's no one else. Like I go to like that, that like nine o'clock slot in the morning. That's like, yeah. that's me. Yeah. Although, keeping that in mind, I, it, it depends on the film. If I'm going to go watch like Avengers Endgame, I want to be there with the people because you want to feel that you energy yeah, yeah. because it's like it's like a it's a joint experience. But if I'm going to go watch like these Oscar bait films or what, it, I, I want to be there alone and I want to I want to absorb oh. it. Mm. Um, just to give Fablemans a bit more cred because perhaps I started off a bit clumsy, but I just love the fact that a filmmaker can be at this point in their life where they've done enough, they've established themselves enough, they don't need to make any more films to sort of prove anything that they can go back and do this film, which is very much for himself. He Mm. had to work out a lot of his own demons and a lot of his own sort of, yeah, memory of his life. And it was so great that he has this ability and the luxury to be able to make this indulgent film. Mm. And you go along with it. Yeah. um, Indulgent in in, in the best way in which he could do whatever he wanted to do. And, and it was great. And I think it's because we've seen him tell the story before. Um, I've been reading like quite a few critics and the discourse around the Fablemans is really interesting. Okay. Because since it won the Golden Globe for Best Picture and Director, suddenly everyone's put up Spielberg into this like platform of debate where it's like, w- like is he an auteur? Is he just a populist filmmaker? Right? Like, and do those things have value? But people have been saying it's ridiculous to actually appreciate the fact that a divorce, no divorce in history, I think, has had more of an impact on the American imagination than Spielberg's parents because that divorce is why we have Close Encounters of a Third Kind, E.T., Empire of the Sun, even Catch Me If You Can, like people have been talking about, and AI. Mm. I was reading about how there's a scene in AI when the one, it's been so long since I've seen it, but it wants to transfer its consciousness onto something else, and when his mother shows him the film camera, it's like a shot-for-shot recreation of that moment, right? And Spielberg has been telling the story for the longest time. It's been bleeding into his work, right? That's interesting. Um, because So at the core of this movie, The Fablemans, is about his family. And at the core of it is his parents splitting. So obviously it's his childhood, him learning how to play with cameras and making his first movies and things like that. But yeah. really at the essence of it is this rather unique family drama. Family drama. Yeah. And why I say unique is go and watch the movie. I don't want to give too much away. But... Um, it's it's not as simple as just like mommy and daddy are fighting and they divorce. Yeah. There's, there's so much more to it. And he carried a lot of that. 
Because he, he, he knew certain things that his other family, that his sisters didn't know, and he carried that oh with God. him. And, and, and it's, it's, it must be the craziest thing to be able to make this movie. I mean, yeah. and, and, and it, I was saying to Cole, there's, there's, a, there's a podcast called Desert Island Discs. I don't know whether you've heard of it. No. It's one of the longest, probably one of the longest running sort of formats of podcasts probably before they were even like proper podcasts proper yeah. podcasts it's a bbc thing and they um the whole concept is that they take people uh, famous people and you can pick eight songs that you're going to take onto a desert island and you can pick a luxury and you can pick a book and of course spielberg was recently interviewed because of the fablemans and so it was so lovely watching well listening to this sort of deeply personal interview with him talking about certain things and then being able to watch this movie the next day um, because so much of what he was saying came in to the movie and it was oh, just lovely. So you recommend listening to that episode and going to watch The Fable Yeah, so just seeing the two at the same time. It was, it was very interesting. The one thing was, what, is your, what luxury would you take onto the desert island? And he said he'd, he'd take this camera, the Bolex camera, just so that he can hold it up to his ear and, and listen to it when he winds it. And I remember that. I thought, oh, that was nice. And then later, at one point in the movie, you see the character like just slowly, like, just lying in bed, trying to be quiet, in bed, listening and to forget them. about the world. Oh, Wild. It's lovely. Wild. And and she said, and why I'm bringing this up is she <clears> said, um, you know, it's nerve wracking putting out a film in general, whether it's aliens or, you know, dinosaurs. This one surely was more nerve wracking, and he's like, "You cannot believe <laughs> yeah. how how crazy it was to sort of make this thing and then put it out into the world." Yeah, I mean, I think it's quite hectic to almost like air your dirty laundry on screen for people, but it's also like Spielberg is known for. <laughs> yeah. Excuse me, that's a Sahara. Um, <laughs> Spielberg is kind of known for. It's almost like a wholesome, wholesome filmmaking. I don't know how else to describe it, but there's something very comfortable about watching his films because you just like, you just know it's going to be good kind of thing. It's like when you watch those old Indiana Jones movies or whatever, it's just like that same feeling of like, oh, you know where this is going. But, but there's that level of depth. Yeah. And, 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 and we watched um, E.T. recently on IMAX. Yeah. And I can't remember this, but I mean, only picking it up now, did I realize that the mom was a single mom? Yeah. You, you forget that. Yeah, you sort of don't kid, even remember right. that whether there was a dad or not. But the mom's a single mom and there are these moments about her, you know, in anguish because she hears that the husband is with someone and, you know, and she, the, the dad's found a new wife. It's like, that's got nothing to do with this alien coming to Earth. Yeah. It's got it's just, everything to do with it. But it's great. No, but I'm saying <laughs> yeah. that it just adds such a lovely subplot to yeah. the movie. Right. It's like, yeah, it's layering. not about a divorce. It's about an alien coming to Earth and getting stranded. Yeah. But then Jaws isn't about a man eating shark terrorizing a town. Yeah. You know? It's like there's this depth it, to the stories. It's, it's about the, the, the mayor who has to look after a seaside town who's afraid of the water. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> um, okay, we're not performing on stage, yeah, and we're not shooting documentaries. Um, what what else keeps you busy? You, you what what do I, I not do? That's yeah, that's everything. Kind of <laughs> it's um, insane. And Cole, um, I don't want to I don't want to do like I don't want to poke you for for stories. But Cole said that there is a very interesting <laughs> story that you once told him about a horse. Wow. I knew this was going to come you're up. The, you're the best storyteller in the world, Brett. Now that we have you and, on a microphone. Guys, and, thank and you so much for coming into the pod and listening to Brett's bedtime stories. <laughs> <laughs> I'm just going to take over from here. 
Um, yeah, so what Cole is alluding to is I have, uh, I don't know how, I don't know who I killed in my previous life or whether I created like a global famine or something, but I've been cursed with being and, and having an illustrious career in being part of wedding parties. I have been part of 14 wedding parties at this point of my life. Okay. Unprecedented. Um, you mean so in the, in the groom or the bridesmaids? Yeah, group. yeah and I've, I've been side. on both sides of the fence there. Yeah. Because um, I think it's actually ridiculous that the guy should have men. Yeah. And that yeah. the girl should have girls. See, it, like, well, see what happened ridiculous. is it started with one wedding where the, the bride asked me to be part of her and she was going to be very progressive and have a boy on, on her side. And then all of them just latched onto this. Okay. And I've also emceed every single one of those weddings and then some. So, And in the emceeing, have you broken out into any form of song? At one wedding, yes, but they did request it. I, yeah. I'm not a fan of singing at weddings, um, yeah. but they, they, they specifically, they're long-time <laughs> fans of my work. And so they, they requested, they requested a, a specific okay. song, which was comedic, and, and I, yeah. I obliged. But um, yeah, I, th- I think the worst wedding... <laughs> that I've ever been to in my whole life. And I, I mean, I really, I, I dare someone in the comments to, to tell me of a, of a worse story. But I was invited, this is the one wedding I was not part of the wedding party, thank heavens. But I was invited to a wedding that was on a horse stud. And the, um, the bride was a, a lipizzan, a show jumper, or horse rider or whatever. And so... The entire wedding was on Papa's horse stud <laughs> in Kailami, and it was very posh. And uh, yeah, they had all these amazing Arabian stallions around. And obviously, because it's a horsey girl wedding, it was inside horsey the stable. <laughs> okay. And you know, and no offense to to any of the horsey girls that are listening in, but I am I am living with one. Yeah, yeah. Like horsey girls, horsey girls are like next level. I mean, they have their own subgenre of film. There's like horsey girl films. Like yeah, they love horses i mean a friend of mine told me that he, he a girl wanted to break up with him and she took him to the stables to break up with him because she felt more comfortable amongst the horses i mean this is like <laughs> this is like the, this is like the level of like yeah. sort of of deep love for horses so so the bride i mean she was full-blown horsey girl um so this ceremony is happening inside the stable and the bride comes in and she looks lovely and obviously they're doing the vows and now it comes to the time to bring the rings in and uh, they basically bring in this show-jumping, award-winning, billion-dollar Arabian stallion horse. And he starts to sort of prance down the aisle, you know, the way that they do. Yeah. And everyone's like, wow. And I mean, this is a big wedding. We're talking like 400 people. Wow. And this horse starts coming in. And as the horse starts to come in, they start to play music on a, like a little electric organ. Mm. And the horse had not been briefed on the <laughs> organ. No, I mean, horses can be afraid of their own shadow. Yeah, yeah. and <laughs> They can often be spooked by wild. the wildest yeah. things. Okay, and, so the and, horse and, is and, by and because the, the organ came off very 80s and like, you know, just took him by surprise, the horse reared up and mm-hmm. snapped its neck on the rafter and fell down dead in the middle of the aisle. <laughs> <laughs> And we you, shouldn't be laughing. And, and if, you what, you just and if watching I, this and whole if I thing tell on? you that 
there, there's never been a greater silence on planet Earth than what befell that, that crowd of people. It was like no one even breathed. And this bride just went full Claire Danes at the end of Romeo and Juliet, just like that, that ugly, like, <laughs> like <laughs> lying on top of the dead horse in the aisle, covered in blood, like Bride of Frankenstein, just so intense. And just when you think it couldn't get any worse, they had to bring a tractor in yeah. to remove the horse. Yeah. So they had to dra- drag, they tied chains around the horse and they dragged the dead body <laughs> with the bride still lying on top of the horse. So they're dragging the horse and the bride down the <laughs> aisle. And everyone is just sitting watching. No one's moving. They then tranquilize the bride and they carry on with the ceremony. She's like covered in blood. And then they... Co- what do you mean tranquilize her? Sort of give her some sort sedative. of... Sedative. Sedative, just to calm her to down. Calm her. But it was just really weird because then they were like, do you take Johnny as your lawfully wedded husband? And she was like, yes. And like just like drool like running out of her mouth because she's like so zonked. And <laughs> yeah, after they, they signed the marriage certificate, the, the father got up and he was like... I. I don't think anyone's really in the mood for a reception, so we're just going to call it a day. And then just like everyone went home. Oh my god! Oh, wow. Anyway, needless to say, they're not together anymore. But it didn't last. Yeah, I think it really set the tone <laughs> for for what was to come. Um, and those pictures. I mean, they obviously couldn't have taken pictures. No, yeah, I mean, I, 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 you know what blood. I often think about is there was a there was a team. I mean, th- this was like a film set. There was like forty cameras filming this wedding and they caught that all on camera so if you're out there <laughs> contact me and we can we can make a documentary about that but i mean yeah what do you, i can just imagine them looking at each other like do we keep filming like yeah, what do we, we you know, what happens you know it's just so weird it's funny yeah. sure yeah. that's quite a story yeah yeah <laughs> i appreciate you sharing it as, as you know it's very deeply personal to me and i'm glad <laughs> I, could, I could get it off my chest with all of you here today <laughs> It no, sounds no. like something that you get out of like a those early noughties trash comedies like Shallow Hell or yeah, Nemo the Sol real sort of physical ones. It I, sounds I, like it would be in like one of those movies. We we on a whim uh, watched Good Luck Chuck lot, two nights ago, oh. which is that Dane Cook's sort of yeah, yeah. 2000s comedy. Yo, aged. Aged like a like a jug of fresh milk. Yeah, oh God. <laughs> it's horrible. Yeah, a lot yeah. of those films you watch back and you're like, wow, they really made this. This and this. there was a you know the sidekick buddy that just wants to like get yeah. laid, and it's like the way he talks about women, and it's like, oh my God, this is yeah. And, and they're actually technically all the same film. They just have the same archetypes in every film, and it's like, who was approving these? Like, yeah, mm, exactly. How did it happen? But yeah, it's interesting um, on that kind of also just evolution. Um, uh, Welcome to Chippendales has got like some full on gay love scenes. Yeah, like not not even romantic love scenes. Like, oh really? I'm fucking sticking it to you, love scenes. Yeah, Damn. and it's like, and you sort of look at that and you're like, wow, okay, 2023. Yeah, it's like we're old. I think I think uh, you know, like I I think it is a weird thing. Like people want a lot of representation in film, and and I mean, just going to see like. Wakanda Forever, for example, and you you in an audience that is predominantly non-white. Yeah. Yes. No, when we watched it as well, it and was that. It, it was, was the coolest experience I've ever had because you kind of like, you can physically see the importance of having representation, it being in part of an audience like that. Like 
there's something in the air that's like no it's magical and also like in some cases speaking closer yeah like so so like little kids are like hearing their own language literally yeah Mm. it's it's amazing and i and i think you know it's sort of like like homosexuality and like just even like lgbtqi plus sort of representation in film it can either it's often heavy-handed in a way that's like Okay, but why are we? Why is it like this? You know, they they're either a complete archetype where it's like, oh, it's the sassy gay friend, yeah, yes. and or you know, it's like this uh, like a lesbian period drama where like lighting a candle is like a, is, is considered a full blown sex scene. It's like, <laughs> what is going on? But I, I think you know, there there, ha- there has to be a way to like kind of make just almost normalize it in a way, and not be like, oh, and now we're going to show you. A gay, sexy. Yeah, <laughs> but I think that's, that's what they cool. tried yeah. more and more. Um, I think that's what what the attempt of Bros was. Have you yeah. seen Bros? I haven't seen Bros. Yeah, no. see, we yeah. haven't kind of seen it. It's it's strange. It should be the point of Bros was that it was going to be this big Judd Apatow comedy, major studio behind it, and it's just a funny movie. Yeah, happens to be two dudes. Yeah, but it's just a funny movie. Yeah, but of course, like, it took a bit of the. It, it took a set of arrows because it, it, at the end of the day, it was still like the gay movie trying to not be a gay, a gay movie. movie yeah. So it was still like, I think stigmatized as being a gay movie. Yeah. And honestly, as much as they were trying to say like, right. it's not that, but that unfortunately sort of got in the way. Yeah. And also like, no, no one, no one hates the gays more than the gays. <laughs> so it's, yeah. like, it's like, it's a really weird thing. Like, like, it's like, they'll be like, here is something for you. And they're like, well, I don't want that. I don't want that now. I don't want, that. and it's just like, but why? We surely we we do want this. We do, yeah. <laughs> and I don't know why it is that way. I mean, but it, it's it was always of, going to be set up for some uh, kind yeah, of yeah. A lot of the criti- of a lot of the critiquing actually came from the gay community, which is like it's so bizarre. Yeah, but um, it really is like that. But I mean, I even feel like that if I'm watching something and I'm just like, why? Why this? This feels this feels forced or this feels awkward. Like, why yeah. are we including this? But that's cool. Now I'm even more keen to see it because. I mean, that is what's really important with like these kinds of things to show the double side of the coin because you get, um, what was that Netflix series with the, the two gay guys in high school? Um, Heartbreak. Heartstopper. Yeah, Heartstopper. Yeah, Cole talks about that all the time. Really clever. Like really clever because it's so like organic and it's not like heavy handed in any way. And it's like literally the most normalizing show I think I've seen yeah. of like the kind of thing. But it's also good to show you the other side of like, like you say, like just I'm sticking it to you, there, kind yeah. of thing. There were there were happens. a couple of, of of Christmas movies that came out about a year ago or two years ago, and weirdly enough, we just started watching them, seeing them as Christmas movies because that's what one sort of does around this time yeah. of year. And you're like, oh, it's a gay movie. Yeah. And you very quickly are like, oh, I don't care. This doesn't bother me at all. And by the end of it you're like oh he's with him like yay yeah. you like it's just like that same story it's like yeah. love is love yeah so it's not they almost bros almost had to sort of deceive you yeah they almost had to go like here's the new Judd Apatow comedy yeah, yeah. go and then, and then you know you, nothing and then, yeah. and then people go oh it's a gay movie and I don't care yeah that's yeah. kind of how they should have done it but whatever someone's gonna always take the brunt yeah 100% and I think like it is difficult I think it's always gonna be difficult if you're doing a film that from either perspective, if you, I think the, the if you want to do something about a minority group, the majority is going to find it difficult to accept because it's now against the norm. 
but you also want to appease the people that are in the minority group and they might feel that they it's not correctly represented. So it, it's tricky as, know, a, as it, a creative. It, it really not. just comes down to authenticity. Yeah. It comes down to paying careful attention to what that relationship is like. Yeah. And if that relationship is a normal, beautiful, loving relationship, yeah. then that's what will shine yeah. through. And it's the same with representing minorities. Like you get an Asian person to make Turning Red. Yeah. You get... A Latino person to make Encanto. Yeah. And if they really are true to it, it it'll works. work. Yeah. It'll not be like Mulan where there's like that's a that's a Japanese thing. Yeah. They don't do that. This you can't yeah. put Eddie Murphy's voice on a dragon, a holy dragon or Yeah, you know, yeah, hundred percent. It's it's, it's so, it, yeah. yeah, I think you're right. Lovely. It's, it's it just comes down to do it. It. just taking yeah. care and respect. Um okay, but you should watch Welcome to Chippendales. Yeah. Because I think I think you'd appreciate the pizzazz of it all. I'm I'm keen. And the story of it and putting on a show. Um Fableman's, as we said, is great. So hopefully we found something for you to rent. Yeah, I think And I when think is the next production? Well, Alton Alton will be back in all its glory with star nipple caps and furry jackets and feathers and high heel boots. Lovely. Uh, when are you bringing that back? So that'll be back in about April, May. Oh, that'll um, be, so that's so soon. Turns, yeah, yeah. We, I mean, we we opened the show with to, just to see, you know, how people would respond, and I think it was from, like a it was like a stress test, so to speak. Yeah, definitely, and because it's such a technically difficult show, we also want, had a new theatre. Yeah, we wanted to see whether we could actually, you know, really do this because it's hard. It's a it's a tough. It's the hardest show I've been in. Um, yeah, but I think. Yeah, I mean, and, and just the response, people coming away and, and, and speaking to you, and, and none of them are even speaking about Have, Elton. They're speaking about the, the, the message, which is so strange. Yeah. But the way things that people were touched about, you know, the, the, the story of recovery from drugs or the, the, the loss of, of, of your, your parents in a way that they sort of ostracize you, like interesting tidbits. Yeah. Interesting what cool. people yeah. can take out of it. Yeah. Have you got a theater lined up for that? So we'll be doing it again at the Theater Linden. Um, it's, it's where the show was born, and it is great because it, it gives you a sense of extreme intimacy, yeah. um, and which is what we want for, for the show. And it's really like a blank slate. So you can do whatever you want there. And then we will be touring with the show. Um, we haven't confirmed dates yet, but it will be in Cape Town as well. So that will be happening. And then I've got three other shows that are lined up, which oh, haven't been announced yet. But, yeah, some exciting things. Cole unfortunately is part of part of all of them but um <laughs> and you're yeah. gonna see, yeah. and you're gonna see me in the front 100 percent. I, I love as i said i just love coming to these things i think it's just been so great and so different to to do them i mean you know a lot of drama theater can be hit or miss in the sense that it could be quite harrowing or a bit but for me personally like i just love a good escape i love a good musical so yeah so thank I'm, you for thank you for bringing them well, thanks. Yeah. And, and if you guys don't want to watch the show, but you want to meet Russell, just come see the shows and he'll be there. So that's, <laughs> that's a two for one. That's a two for one. Lovely. Cool. Thank you, man. Thank you for your time. Yeah. No, for thank you guys for having out. me and I'll collect my videos on the way out. <laughs> All right. What a great chat and what a lovely man. Uh, we really appreciated uh, him popping in and sharing <laughs> some of those uh, very interesting stories. Uh, please feel free to share the love. We are the video store.co.za. Please uh, rate and review. Those things mean a lot to us. Join the community growing on Instagram and on Facebook. Let us know what you're watching, what we could be chatting about, and we hope to 
have you join us once again when we do this next week. Thank you for listening, and we will see you soon. Cheers.